starting our message off this morning and we're going to be looking, we're having a prayer vigil. I thought it just might be nice for us to, to understand the, the ways of prayer and uh, see many of the answered prayers that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be doing Daniel after our cup of tea this morning. But uh, it's an amazing thing to look at the Lord's prayer life. Now, as we study the prayer life of our Lord, we notice that he expected answers to his prayers. And in all his teachings, he leads us to feel that we should be able to obtain through prayer what we would not in any other way receive into our life. You see, Jesus knew all there was to know about natural law. In other words, the way life operates. And yet, even with a perfect knowledge of the mysteries of his Father's ways, he said in John 16, 23, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Now, when we look at the lives of some of these missionaries and people who have worked mightily for God over the years, it's clear that they've learned something which seems to be hidden to many of us. And we only got to go as far as George Mueller for one when he set up his work with the orphanages. Never once did he go around to anybody and ask for a donation. Not once. Not once. He not once tried to raise money to keep the work going as well. Yet by today's standards, I can't remember the, quite the, 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 the true amount, but it was a millions upon millions of dollars came to that ministry through his prayers and the prayers of others. He was donated buildings. He was given food. The children all came because of prayer. And we stand at awe at times at the way God answered the prayers of some of these great people through history and we may feel a little bit, well, I'm not anywhere as hard working or as faithful or as surrendered as some of these people. I just live my life day in, day out, working, family, church. I know some of the little prayers I get answered, but I don't seem to be able to get the big ones, the answers to the big ones, the ones concerning a more fruitful marriage, a more faithful marriage. One, will I ever get married? What about my children? We, we pray that they be God-honoring and, and God-serving, and yet we don't see answers. My service and my work for the Lord. We wonder, is God hearing? Is God going to answer? And, and the answers to the real deep prayers, the, the areas of these things, not, and I'm not just talking about the surface prayers, like watching over them and blessing them and the daily needs. But I'm talking about the real deep areas like a total commitment to Christ. The communication levels with him that go way beyond was how was your day. Ways that reach down to where we say, look what the Lord has done for me. Where do you think the Lord is taking me? What's our walk with him going to be? Are we sitting our families down? Are we teaching and talking these things to them? What does God want us to do for him? And more importantly, then we see answers to the, the, the fruit of those prayers. See, more often than not, we, we call out to God in the deep areas of life when we need him the most. When we've run out of being able to fix things ourselves. The wayward spouse, then we're on our knees. 
the prodigal child. Then we're on our knees. A struggling marriage. Well, we're calling out then the financial crises, the health issues. Our prayers seem to take on a greater intensity. Our relationship with God seems to become more real and vital, more intense when we get affected in those areas. And I want to show you something. God never lets us down. And we may not always get the answers we ask for, brothers and sisters, but we always know that God's ears are open, that his heart is touched, and his presence is real. Many people say, well, God hasn't answered any of my prayers. Have we ever stopped to think it might just be a no? How do we live in a relationship that's deep and meaningful like that all the time? A relationship where we we don't just say, oh, I hope so. I hope he's hearing me. But a relationship with all certainty, we are sure and we experience the truth of God at work in us in our daily lives. We know he's listening to us. We know he desires to answer us. We know he wants control of our life in every area. How do we live in a relationship where we're absolutely sure he hears and he's going to answer our prayers? We ask sometimes, well, what sort of secret did the great parrot warriors know that I don't know? Well, there is no secret. God never has, nor will God ever try and hide how we can have a direct line to his presence and expect him to answer our calls. Jeremiah 33.3, we all know it. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Where was Jeremiah when he prayed that? In prison. You know, when they took Jeremiah out of prison, they pulled him up with ropes. You know, he'd been in the mire so long, they thought his flesh was going to slide off his bones. And here he is praying, believing God would answer his prayers. Now, there's four key areas to answered prayer. We know them, we've read about them, but the vital key to them is to live them. For prayer that's going to prevail, it must be, first of all, to the glory of the Father, Secondly, it must be in Christ's name. Thirdly, we must be bearing fruit. And fourthly, we must abide in Christ. Now, first one, John 14, 13. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You know, so whatever petition we bring to God, whatever we ask of him must be tested by the thought, will it be for the glory of God? It's the very thing our Saviour lives and pleads for. See, whatever we ask of God must be for his glory. You know, from the food on our tables to the prodigal child coming back, God must be the one who receives the glory for it. See, we're not to pray just to ease our heartaches. We're not to pray just to stop our worries. We're not to pray to, to make life bearable we're not to pray to further our standing in life for us it must be all for the glory of god 
Our thoughts, our desires, our, our, our passions must all be focused and centered upon God receiving the praise, the glory and the thanks for it. That his will be done, not my will set at ease. You know, Jesus never sought an answer to prayer that wasn't focused on God's will being done. Yes, he prayed in the garden, if possible, it be that it can't pass for me, but look what he added to it. But not my will, but thy will be done. See, Jesus didn't want the glory. In fact, he reflected all the glory back to his heavenly father. He wanted people to see God was glorified in the Son. The works that he did, the words he spoke, the way he lived was to bring glory to God. And Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's what he asks us to do. To live exactly the same way with everything being to the glory of God. See, what we pray for is to do the same. Our requests are to be for God's glory, not just for our own benefit. And Jesus will do whatsoever believer asks. Why? That God might be glorified through his mediation. Does that mean God's going to give us everything we want? It doesn't work that way. God has never, ever answered a selfish prayer. And he never will. And if we pray to bring honor and glory and gain to ourselves and to our names, we shouldn't expect God to hear or answer. But if what we're praying for in Jesus' name is for the purpose of bringing God glory, then he'll hear and he'll answer. But it's got to be from a heart that's true, a heart that's sincere, a heart that wants nothing other than the glory of God shown through their lives. And we have to remember, Jesus here is comforting his disciples. They'd been troubled. They were discouraged. Why? Because he's announced, I'm going. See you later. I'm not going to be here anymore. And he's comforting them that although he was going, he wants them to understand that would unite them more to him. They would be more intimate relationships for them with him. It would be more effectual in a spiritual way. Because through prayer, they could reach him any time. Through prayer, he would be in their presence at any time. He had shown them by example that there was an intimate connection between his prayers and the work he had done. And that they too were to understand that, that prayers were essential if they were going to do the work he left them to do. And brothers and sisters, that's the same for us. He has left us a work to do. And then we, can, we can do it all in the flesh. Easy. But to get on our knees and pray and to be directed and to do it all for his glory and for his will is a totally different story. And he has given us the privilege of coming right to the throne room in prayer to follow his will and bring glory to his name. And the word whatsoever there doesn't mean anything. It's talking about a Christian praying in the Spirit. Because if we pray in the Spirit, we'll ask whatever the soul needs. Whatsoever that will bring glory and honor to God and His Son, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. That's such a vital, vital part of a person's life. Because prevailing prayer, secondly, must be in Christ's name. You know, Christ's name was interesting. His name stands for nature. Now, I'm not talking about the birds and the bees. It's the self-nature. See, when we pray, it mustn't be as our own self-nature, but as Christ's nature shows. See, it's not enough to, to tack his name onto the end of a prayer. His Spirit's got to be working in us and through us as we pray. So, so what, is, what, what is Christ's name? What, what is the nature of it? Well, isn't he the Word? Isn't he the, the counsellor? The truth? The provider? The protector? The defender? Isn't he the mighty God? You see, his name covers all these, but there's so many more. And to use his name in prayer means it's to call upon these attributes of his. His name should bring to us the thoughts about all the characteristics of who he is and what these names mean. Man, if we, you just write down and find the list of the names of God, the names of the Son of God, and pray those names. You've prayed for an hour before you've even realized it. Now, this is the first time the Lord speaks about his name. It's spoken much about his father's name, but now Jesus suggests to us a new way, a, a vitalizing way to pray. The believer is to pray in a full recognition of his person and his relationship to God the Father. Now, this is not just for a few, this is for all people. We don't have to pray through a pastor, you don't have to pray through a priest. We pray in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and only through him. We pray in a full awareness that, that he is the element in which prayer lives and operates. You know, I don't know how the disciples' prayers were when Jesus was with them because we don't hear too much about that. We don't hear much about them praying at all. What we do know is they fell asleep, amen, on the job while Jesus was praying. We know that the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And walking and being with Jesus was nice enough, but it didn't have any spiritual enrichment. It had to be taken with its drawbacks as well as its pleasures, you see. No wonder they abounded in prayer after he left. When he left this earth. This led to the point where, where Jesus was about to depart. And we, we see here when, when becoming physically inaccessible to them, he actually became more accessible than he ever was before to them. See, their prayer life became their life. Read the Bible. You see, more and more they were deeper in prayer. Their lives took on more meaning. They pointed more to their Saviour. It became the vital link between them and their Lord and the work that he had called them to do. And he's called us to do a work. He's called us to preach the gospel in these end times. He's called us to stand for the truth and not compromise with the worldly way and the modern way church is going. He's called us to come out from those who are false prophets. He's called us to put away false doctrine. He's called us to live and stand on the truth of his word and call on him. That's prayer. That gives us the vitality to pray in the Spirit properly to His glory. And it should be vital. 
And why was it vital to them? Because they knew as they walked in his ways that he would hear them, but not just hear them, answer them. Because nothing they prayed was for themselves. It was all for the glory of God in his name. Do you know the full title of the Lord's name? Many people are amazed. They, they don't know it. All of us are amazed. But it is the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's his full title. Man. All they could do, it was all because they knew he would answer. They could ask with confidence and understanding just as a servant asks in the name of their master. Now, when, when I worked for myself and I, I set up with all the people I worked for, accounts at different hardware stores and stuff like that. So I just ran a simple little business. I didn't want the paperwork. I says, you guys set up accounts and on whatever we need, we'll just book on your account. And when I went to go from the, to get things for my clients, I, I, I get them without any question. Why? It was put on their accounts. They paid for it. They had a claim there and the claim was recognised at once and, and I received the goods. Christ has paid for our sins. Christ has opened up the avenue for us to, to come into the throne room of God and put our requests there and we receive the goods. See, when Jesus prayed, he received all the storehouse that heaven had, all that it could supply to do the work he was called to do. And now that he's in heaven, the work still goes on. In fact, in the Lord say, even greater works. And guess what? The storehouse still provides. The king of glory, the, the, the great and mighty God still provides for the needs of his will and his purpose. And the greater works were impossible unless they came as answers to true Christian prayers. I was reading of a man, you may have heard of him, Dr. Burns Thompson. He, was, he's, he founded the Edinburgh Medical Missions. And he, he was one of the key people who revived the, the medical missions through the 1800s. The world was in a terrible state physically in those times, and not to mention spiritually. But it was laid on him by the Lord in particular, the burden and the trials of bringing this mission work into acceptance amongst other Christians. They didn't want it. They thought, no, nah, this, this, this isn't a work of God. We, we don't want to do this. But while he was training at a hospital, he and some other student doctors, Christians, began praying to have their needs met so they could use their talents not just to get through doctor school, but to serve God in the medical field and the missions that God had laid on their hearts. And God began to answer their prayers, some even as they were being prayed. Now, Burns Thompson, he wrote in his biography, bear with me because this is from the 1800s and I want to give it to you word by word. He said, When much together as students, we agreed on special petitions and the Lord encouraged us by giving us answers so early, so definite, as could as only as come from himself, so that no room was left for the shadow of doubt that God was the hearer and answerer of the prayer. Once the answer came the same day, another while we were yet speaking. 
My friend often spoke of our agreement to the glory of him who fulfilled his promise. And I speak this only to encourage others. You see, lots of good things can be done without prayer. There are physical wants, there are physical needs. You can meet them without prayer. But those who want to do the most good must be always asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? They must be praying, Lord, is this your will to be done? You see, we should be asking what Jesus would do if he could be thought of as as one of, uh, if we could be thought of as one of his servants. You see, we're, we're to live lives to the ministry of others as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our ministry is to be measured not by what men ask for, but by what Jesus seeks to give to us to be used for the glory of God. Listen, we have greater supplies at our command for a needy world than anything the natural world can supply. And it's all in the name of Jesus, the whole lot. Have we prayed, what does my prodigal son need? What does my mum and dad need? What do my friends need? They need people praying for them that are surrendered, people who are prepared to submit all in the name of Jesus and give them what Jesus has to offer. You can't give anyone a greater gift than the word of God and the salvation that's in it. Thirdly, we've got to be bearing fruit. John 15, 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. In verse 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You know, we, we, we've got to bear fruit because answers to prayer depend largely on our ministry to other people. F.B. Meyer, the senior, he, he wrote... If we are living for the accomplishment of God's purpose and the coming of his kingdom, we may ask whatever is necessary for the achievement of our endeavour. You see, we're to go forth and bring fruit. Now, to bring fruit means we are to be obedient to the commands of Christ upon our life. Jesus commands us to go. And to go when sent is to acknowledge the authority of the one who sends us. My wife, remember we were so excited. We, we sat in a missionary conference. In fact, our pastors had run into another pastor on an aeroplane coming back from America, and he was only about this high. He's about that wide, though. Man, was he a fireball. He was firing. By the end of the Sunday, Deborah and I were at the front surrendering to be missionaries to China. We didn't want to be pastors, did we, sweetheart? No. We just wanted to go to a pastor who needed someone to do whatever he needed doing. That's where we got to an hour. We just wanted to surrender to the Lord, let him use us. But once we surrendered, then we had to obey what God did. 
And my dear wife, we went to Goulburn on a cold winter's day and she said, I'm never going to live here. <laughs> and 12 months later, we're pastoring a church in Goulburn. But we had to do what God wanted. I would have preferred to go to China. That would have been the easy thing to do. But God says, no, this is the plan and purpose for you and your wife and your family. This is where I want you. This is where you go. And brothers and sisters, now you've got me. But we must allow God to use us. And it's obedience is what brings blessing to our life and to the glory of God's name. And that means it's going to take effort. Obedience means activity. It means we put every effort, every ounce of our, our, our will into doing his will. See, being a Christian does not mean we receive truth and enjoy the privileges. It means we, we roll up our sleeves. It means we get ready to do the hard work, that we be ready to do the extra mile, accept the hard times, giving up to enjoy the, the good times without taking our eyes off Christ and ever being ready to do whatever he bids us to do, that's obedience. And what happens is God lays on people's hearts to do something, to do something, and they, they, then they begin to question, oh, is that from God or am I just thinking that? And when we don't act on what God moves us to do in the first place, it becomes harder and harder to do, and then we're just sitting where we should have been serving our great God and Saviour. See, Jesus came into this world to do the Father's will, to complete the work that God had given him to do, and Jesus left us to do the same, and it is his desire that as we, as children of God, glorify, honour, and magnify God in everything that we do. And that means we can't do whatever pleases us. It just doesn't work that way. And I say this and I say this in love and that is an unfruitful believer is a dishonour to the Heavenly Father and it should be the desire of every believer to abide in Christ. Psalm 1 illustrates this. The blessed is the man who walketh not in what? Counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners or sitteth in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You see the progression? Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. See, once you get in the counsel of what's ungodly, the next step is to stand with them. And once you've stood with the sinner for a while, you begin to sit down with them. And you're in the seat of the scornful. But if we delight in what the Lord asks us to do, if we meditate upon his will for our life, which is to bring glory and honour to God the Father, then fruit comes. See, fruit comes from branches that are only connected to the vine. And fruit on a branch shows that the branch is connected to a vine that feeds it. A branch that produces fruit from within. You know, some Christians, they, they make a big outward show and it all looks good on the outside, but the, 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 the inner is lean and it's lifeless. Oh, they, got to, they, they sound pretty good, amen. They're on volume 10. They're, 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 they're doing it all. But the inside, 
is just lean and lifeless. They do what they do to bring glory to themselves. They love to hear the praise of man upon themselves rather than serving to please God and bring him honour, which I have found is always something that we do out of submission and humility before him. You see, the fruit-bearing Christian will, will bring fruit. You know, Matthew 5, 16 tells us, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Galatians 5.22, we know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I love the last bit of that verse. It's been so encouraging in my whole life. Against such there is no law. You can do all that you like. You, you can be as patient as you want to be, amen? You can be long-suffering as you want to be. You can put up with all the hardships as long as you like. There's no law against it. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, we, we have to see how important it is that God's truth is the fruit of the life of a Christian. It's the outflow of the union we possess in Christ being our Saviour. Let me tell you something. You find water running into a pond, if it doesn't go out the other side, it becomes stagnant and green. And what the Lord provides through us spiritually, physically, emotionally, is to be spilt out, to remain fresh. that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Lastly, we must abide in Christ. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. You know, abiding in Christ, that, that means that that's a full surrender of heart, spirit and body. That believer maintains a, a heart communion with their Saviour. And it's a heart communion at all times. And you say, oh, you just can't be praying all times. You know what? We're told to pray without ceasing. We can be in a, in a spirit of prayer through our day. We can be in a spirit of prayer whereby we, we get through the day just seeking the Lord's strength for the day. You know, the... Then, after that, we must continually feed upon the Scripture. We're, we ought to be occupied with a deep desire to, to know more of God's Word. And I'm not talking about finding out secret little things or that. I'm just talking about basking in the glory and the love of what God has done. That's a big difference to trying to find, find a lot of knowledge. I had a book given to me once. It drove me crazy after a little while. It said, hard verses to understand in the Bible. It's been a blessing, but man... See, it's a Christian fully surrendered to Jesus, one sitting at his feet, one who constantly has heart communion with God that can claim the promise of this verse. Because the Christian who meets those two conditions will pray in the Spirit and they'll pray always according to the will of God. And because of that, they can ask what it will and it shall be done unto them.
And a believer who expects God to answer their prayer will also be aware in their mind the instructions concerning prayer as it is in God's word. Remember what James 4.2 told us? You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask and miss. Why? That you may consume it upon your lust. When Jesus taught his disciples about prayer in Matthew 6, 5, he said, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before ye ask him. You know, there, there, there are many people, and I'm talking about true born-again believers, and they live in fear. They, they live in uncertainty. They live in doubt. There's no enjoyment of the spiritual birthright they have through being born again in the Lord Jesus Christ because they have broken fellowship with him. If only they would turn their eyes from themselves and look to the cross, understand what the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished, they'd forget about the doubts. The worries wouldn't be a problem for them. They become joyous Christians because they'd have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Now, there's only one way to have assurance and victory over fear and doubt when it comes to spiritual things, and that is to forget ourselves and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing wholeheartedly in his saving blood, trusting his precious word, and a one who abides faithfully in the Lord, feeding on the word of God, the ones who apply it to their lives through humbly submitting and studying, submitting to the Spirit's leading as the truth of the word is revealed, that person finds true joy and peace and satisfaction as well as answers to their prayers. Oh, the Holy Spirit laid on my heart once. He says, are you satisfied, Dennis, with what you're doing? And, and that rocked me, and I had to have a look. And it could only come by surrender. The only way. And we're satisfied that we're in the Lord's will. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Very quickly, I'll finish. This is, this is a conditional promise. First, if you abide in me. Second, my words abide in you. See, there we come back to the same thing. Full surrender of spirit, heart and body meets that condition. That's all. It's where the heart communion with Christ is active, not just for 10 or 20 minutes of a day. It's an ongoing work in and through the whole day. You see, there's got to be a continual feeding on God's word. There's got to be a desire to know more of his word. 
And it's the simple things. You know, I wanted a Bible study last night and we had our granddaughters around and you know what the, the best Bible study I've had for, for, for a long time. We had to find the names of people in the Bible out of a little puzzle. What a great name it was. We just got given a clue and the girls were circling these things. They were circling quicker than I could find them. But what a blessed time of study we had together. And you know what? We, it was a fruitful for Deborah and I because the effort we have put in was coming out. Because they were answering questions that were hard. There's got to be a deep desire to know the word. See, it's this sort of believer that can come claim the promise. Because you know they're always going to be praying in the spirit according to the will of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the promise is? It shall be done unto you. And all the people said? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the very simple truth of your word. And I thank you, Lord, that it is simple. We don't have to be intellectual giants to understand, enjoy, and follow your commands to us. And that you have a desire that our fruit in our walk with you is ripe and real. And Lord, as we surrender ourselves to you and follow your will for us, Father, you provide abundantly. And we thank you, Lord, and help us, Father, to understand that, Lord, it is simple surrender and humility before you as we seek your face in your word and through prayer that you answer us. And what a great God you are, and all glory and honour be to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.